Chloe likes chicken, and I love chicken, and the specific type of chicken that I like is popcorn chicken, hence Exhibit A. And I'm going to eat some chicken. It's so good. Seriously, popcorn chicken is amazing. It's like the smell of it is just... Something in me just loves smelling popcorn chicken. Does anybody want to try some? Jack. Here you go, mate. It tastes so good. Get get it down. I've got a dry dry throat. It does taste good, I'm telling you. Um, I might carry a drink there, Vaughn. Do you want to pass (laughs) that? I've I've had a cold since State Youth Games and I'm struggling. (laughs) Just let me right. Um... But popcorn chicken, I think there's something ingenious about it in that the size of it is just perfect. It's got the perfect ratio of the secret herbs and spices to chicken that means that it's just so Moorish. And does uh, anybody else want to have a try of my popcorn chicken? I know. Oh, there's boys up the back. I'll see if I can get... Oh, nearly. But there you go. Nice, James. Good work. What if I told you that... Uh, KFC doesn't open till 10am, and so that means that was yesterday's popcorn chicken. <laughs> Still, James doesn't mind it, he's, he's into it, and Jack's, Jack's into it. There's something about popcorn chicken that when it's in front of me, I just probably can't really resist it. It's just like so Moorish, and and I just go, oh. and, and working with young people, I, I run the youth programs here at uh, New Community, working with young people, I often find myself in front of fast food, um, and and just popcorn chicken often comes in front of me, and I go, oh, I just, I'll have one, I'll have two, I'll have four, I'll have ten, and it grows. I turned 30 last year, and uh, what that means is that I no longer have the ironclad gut of a teenager. <laughs> and popcorn chicken, while it tastes awesome in the moment, I can tell you that these days it never feels as good the day afterwards. <laughs> that, that popcorn chicken does something inside of you. And even though I know that, I still can't resist it. I still, the smells get to me, the taste and the experience. I know some of you, I'm looking around and just going, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse than popcorn chicken. But but there's something in popcorn chicken that is just lovely. It, it just tastes great and I can't resist it. And that's what we're talking about this morning is, I wonder if there's something for you that you just can't resist. I wonder if there's something in your life that you know is maybe not that great, but when it comes across your path, you go... Yeah, nah, I love that. I like that. I want that. I want that. Did you know that the average age of exposure to pornography in boys in our society in Australia is somewhere between 11 and 13 years old? And by the time that our young people, our young boys are 16 or 17 years old, 80% of our young 16, 17-year-old boys view pornography weekly. And two-thirds of our young girls view it monthly. There are things in our life that are toxic to us, but yet somehow we struggle to resist them. And so, yeah, I'm talking about popcorn chicken. I'm talking about lustful thoughts and pornography and things like that this morning. But I'm talking about so much more than that as well. Maybe for you it's jealousy. Maybe for you it's the feelings of of I want that or greed that rise up. 
or maybe it's technology and it's the the overwhelming urge to just open your phone and check those notifications and and swipe through or or scroll down and maybe it's that or maybe it's the overwhelming urge that when you're sitting on the couch watching Netflix and and the show's up to the the third show in a row but you just let it tick down that clock again and go oh yeah just one more you know, like it's so easy to do that or maybe it's your your emotions and your anger and and that's that that might sometimes build up and it might be the way that you treat your family or your friends is hard to to resist or control or maybe it's the language that you use. Maybe in the work environment or your school environment, the people you're surrounded by speak maybe using different language. Maybe with some some more uh, swear words or maybe they speak in a way that talks down to other people. And it's really easy to join in with that and hard to resist that. It can be really challenging but there's some, plenty of things in our lives that we find hard to resist But when we're talking about this topic of detox, we want to explore practically what are the ways in which we can sort of stand against that. So that's it, detox this morning. See, as followers of Jesus, we we know there to be a new way of life that is available, a new way of living that has this certain kind of freedom that isn't found anywhere else. And it starts with two things. Last week, Bron introduced us to the idea of decluttering our lives. And she introduced us to this letter that we find in the Bible to the the Colossian people, of which he said these words. He said, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And Bron encouraged us to actually shift our focus in life to the good things and the important things. And she shared the life hack of fasting that that can be an actual practical thing that we can do that can help us to focus and shift our focus. When we read on in this letter that Paul wrote, we get to a later section and he says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And I think what he's talking about there is some of those things that I've mentioned, the things that we struggle to resist. And he goes on to mention a whole bunch of things. He mentions uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful thoughts, rage, malice, slander, greed, these sorts of things that he says, we need to put them to death. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to detox. We want to get those toxic things out of our lives. And that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Before we get too far into the practicalities, I want to ask you this question. What drives you? What drives you to get out of bed in the morning and not press snooze the 15th time? What drives you to make your choices around what you're going to eat for breakfast or for lunch? What drives you to to treat people the way you treat them, to choose to do what you do in your everyday, whether it's your work, your school, your studies? What drives you? I think it's a really complex question that we can't really nail the answer to that question in 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, but I think what I do know is that there's something that sometimes drives us, that lurks within us, that drives us to places that are toxic. Behavioural scientists have this term that describes a part of that, that they call anticipatory joy. 
And that can be a really good thing sometimes. That can be the joy that we experience when, say, we're looking forward to a wedding in the family or a, a visit from a friend who lives overseas and, and the anticipation builds and you just get really excited that they're coming. But it has this really negative side of it that I'm going to call anti-joy. That really is that when we see the potential of something coming up, the potential of having something, getting something, doing something we actually get a triggering already of the feel-good hormones inside of us. We get a triggering of the things like dopamine inside of our brain that actually almost reward us straight away. And so in a nutshell, it's almost like the thing inside of us that says, if only I had that, then I would feel better. Or if only I did that, then I would be satisfied. It's this anti-joy that can sometimes drive us to places of not so good, of toxic. So I want to ask you the question, what's driving you? And maybe what are the impulses or urges or desires of your heart that sometimes drive you into places that aren't so great, places that are a bit toxic? And this morning, I want to share with you the life hack that, that can help us navigate this. And Ali's already mentioned it, which is self-control, which doesn't sound that amazing, really. It's a, it sounds a bit boring and dry, but I'm going to go practically into a bunch of, of strategies that we can use to help navigate these things in our lives. And strategy one, I have learned that we need to know that we are not alone, I remember being 15 or 16 uh, and starting to experience these thoughts in my mind that are more probably sexual or lustful and going, what do I do with this? And I remember a period of my life where that became quite a struggle and a wrestle of knowing, what do I do with these thoughts? How do I act in this space? And I remember sitting one Sunday evening in, in the church that I grew up in going, how come we aren't talking about this? And feeling so alone and feeling like surely this is the elephant in the room that I'm sitting there with a bunch of my peers going, I'm sure that all of us are struggling with this. How come we're not talking about this? And what I know now is that I hadn't learnt yet what it means to share life closely with others. When we share life closely with others, we, we almost are empowered by that. I think all of us need a sense of accountability in this life. Rather than doing life solo, king of our own lives, our desires driving our own actions, we need somebody in our life that can, we can be accountable to. Or in other words, we need somebody in our life that can actually point out the things that aren't okay in our life. That can sit there and go, no, nah, Matt, that's not okay. You can't treat that person like that. You can't say that. You can't do that. That's not life-giving for you. And also to the same point that we can share with that person, I'm struggling with this. Can I share that with you? Can I share that struggle and be able to say, hey, I slipped up here? I know I, I uh, lead a bunch of our um, younger boys in our community and and Friday night we were talking about some of this kind of stuff too and it's really lovely to hear a bunch of them catch up regularly um, and, and they talk and share about how they're going with some of their lustful thoughts and, and things like that. And I go, what a wonderful thing 
that we have in community when we share life with each other. The other side of not being alone is this idea of community. What we know is that when we share life closely with other, it almost sets up like a defensive mechanism inside of us that actually the the relationships, meaningful relationships that we develop when we're in community, research tells us that that actually almost acts as a barrier against the things that lead towards addiction and the like. That actually we've got to make sure that we share life openly with others. And that's life hack number one, you're not alone. Life hack two is that you need to strengthen your self-control muscle. I'm a physio, I work at the Austin Hospital, I often see people after they've got broken bones or they've had surgery, maybe shoulder reconstructions or or things like that, and and I'm often working with people to try and strengthen their muscles because their muscles aren't strong enough to deal with the everyday. And I think self-control is like a muscle. It's like one of those things that we can actually develop and gain and grow some momentum in. And I think if we regularly exercise self-control, that muscle grows. And so this is where sometimes I see people and have conversations with people who are struggling with self-control and they're not displaying any self-control in any part of their life and they're taking this big issue and they're going, I can't overcome it. And it's like, well, actually, let's start small. Let's build your muscle. And so the small things matter when it comes to self-control. It's the the not pressing snooze in the morning. Actually builds this inner resilience and strength in your self-control. It's the saying no to the sneaky cheeseburger on the way home from work or the, the slurpee on the walk home from school. They actually build something of a self-control muscle inside of you. And if we can do the self-control thing on the small things, we'll have more strength to deal with the big things when they come across our, our lives. So we need to strengthen our muscle. Uh, I used to cop some flack um, in, in our family because I used to always leave my steak for the last thing I eat at dinner time. You know, you get your veggies and your steak on your plate and I'd always eat the veggies first and then go the steak last. Just as a, a internal desire to go, actually, I need to delay my gratification. Abby's nodding, saying, I do that too, yeah. But it's, a, it's a, an internal pattern, if you like, that for me, that was important for me to go, no, 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 I'm going to put the good thing last. And sometimes we've got to do that. We've got to delay our gratification rather than just obey and follow our gratification at every turn. So life hack three is that we can redirect our impulse. And this is a real strategy type one. I remember when I was uh, in senior high school, I've got a brother who's one year above me. um, And I remember starting to share some of the challenges of like the lustful thoughts stuff with him. Um, And I remember him sharing me this strategy that him and some of his mates had started doing where they'd wear an elastic band on their wrist. And and if, say, they had a thought or saw a billboard pop up or something came in their email or something, that he'd pull the elastic band and give it a snap. And and sometimes they'd do it to each other too. They'd see somebody looking at some billboard and they'd go over and they'd pull the elastic band on each other. And really it was just a reminder to go, stop that thought pattern. Don't linger there. Let's interrupt that. Yeah? And so we need to somehow redirect our impulses whether it's often for me, it's um, I love a good Kingston biscuit, um, and 
sometimes nine o'clock at night when I really should be getting ready for bed knowing our kids will be up at six o'clock and I'll be struggling, um, I just go, oh, but it'd be good to have something sweet. Anybody else know that feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to redirect our impulse sometimes. And so uh, what we can do is create if-then statements. And so they're statements where if I find myself in that situation, then I will do this. I heard somebody in the front here say, uh, I'll go brush my teeth, because <laughs> then you can't eat the biscuit because it tastes weird. Um, but if I want to eat that biscuit, then maybe I will go have a drink of water and I'll go read a book and get ready for bed. Or And there's statements that you go, actually, this is how I'm going to deal with it. Because when you're in that situation where the, the anti-joy is starting to drive you, you don't think very rationally. And so if you've got these rules or statements or strategies set up beforehand, they can be really powerful that you go, in that moment, I don't have to rely on my rational thinking. I can rely on my if-then statement. So we can redirect our impulse. Life act four. We can redefine success. And what I mean by that is to embrace the wrestle. Sometimes when we're in a place where the wrestle is really hard, we feel like the solution would be to get ourselves to a place where we don't wrestle anymore, where there is no struggle, where there is no impulse, no drive. And let me tell you, that, that doesn't always, that can be a really hard thing to be always longing for that almost ideal. But actually, when we learn to embrace the wrestle, embrace that that challenge is going to be there, but actually see it as an opportunity to go, I need to build my strength so that I can win that tug of war rather than hoping that the tug of war will disappear from my life. It's a bit like when, when I went out of the house this morning, I didn't just hope that it was going to be warm outside. I put a jacket on. We kind of just got to get prepared. You know what I mean? That's life hack number four is we can redefine success to embrace the struggle and actually pursue getting strong enough to overcome the struggle. So they're the four life hacks that I've got so far. You are not alone. Set up some accountability and set up some community and some meaningful relationships that you're journeying through life with. Number two, strengthen your muscle as we do the small things well. We build momentum that we can do the bigger things. Number three, redirect your impulse. Create some if-then statements. And for redefine success, let's embrace the struggle and work towards being stronger in being able to deal with the struggle. Now, we could just leave it there and there's some helpful life hacks for you. But I've got three more life hacks for you that, that are, become available to us when we decide to follow Jesus. There's three more hacks that are incredibly powerful in our lives. And what I'm going to do is, the, the letter that we just saw before from Paul to the Colossian people, he wrote another letter to the Roman people, and in it he said these wise words. He said, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You see, when we've struggled with the, the wrestling and the challenging for a long period of time, or, or even if it was just a big wrestle that we failed, we can sit in a place of shame. And let me point out the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is a voice inside that says, I am a bad person, as opposed to guilt that says, I did a wrong thing. And shame itself can be incredibly toxic. But the message of Jesus is a message that says, 
that he loves you so much that he would do anything for you to know that love. Do anything to the point that he would come and he would die on a cross so that you would know that love. So that you would be no longer a slave to fear. There's a song we, uh, song we sang earlier. So that we weren't condemned by him or by our own internal dialogue. That we can actually go, I am worthy of being loved. And what a powerful message that is. And so we don't need to sit in that shame that can self-perpetuate the toxic stuff when we know the love of God in our life. So maybe for you this morning, you need to actually rediscover that. You need to hear that, that you're not seen by God as condemned. You're seen by God as somebody that he loves dearly and that he doesn't want you to sit in shame. That's not his intent for when we make wrong choices. And it goes on, this this letter to the Romans, to say, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. In other words, there is a power at work in our world too. It's something to do with the Spirit of God at work. And if we go back to the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, he says it this way. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator. There's something at work in our world that when we get to know God in a relationship, when we discover that we're not alone, if you like, in that sense, that we can share our journey with God, that there's a renewing power at work in our world that doesn't necessarily always take away every wrestle and struggle that we'll have in our life. But we can share it with him. And there's this wonderful word that we find in the Bible called grace. Grace being the power of God to do a work in our lives that we're unable to do ourselves. And we can be renewed by that power. There's a power available that God wants to transform our world for the better. He wants to transform your world for the better. And when we partner with him in the process of that transformation, he can do a work in us. And that's an amazing thing that's available to us. And the last thing I'll mention is this, that he goes on to wrap up by saying, the king is everything. In this new life, the king is everything and he lives in all of us. And I think when it comes to this toxic patterns of life choices and behaviours that can then take hold of us, sometimes the self-gratifying or the pleasure-seeking king inside of us can be in charge. And we need to be able to say, not you, not that voice, not that king, you won't be king in my life. King Jesus is king of my life. I don't need to seek to satisfy every urge, to satisfy every desire, to seek for my own pleasure. But there's actually a fullness of life when I seek a life in the service of that king. And it's good. It's good. So Cindy and the band are going to come up in a moment. They're going to sing a song that are going to lead us in a time of reflecting on this. So this can be a really big topic for some people. This can be a really heavy topic for some people, with struggles that really they've wrestled with for long periods of time. But there's three lyrics in this song that I just want to point out. Find me grateful, find me lost in your grace, and find me on my knees again. And they point to those three last life hacks, that there is no condemnation, and let's be grateful. And when we practice that gratefulness, that thankfulness, 
that that can actually do a work in us, that we can actually not sit in that place of shame. Find me lost. Oh, we lost the clicker. My clicker's gone dead. Let's go next slide for me, Ali. Find me lost in your grace that actually sometimes we need to get so back connected with the living God in our lives that his grace, his power to do a work in our life that we can't do will be at work. So maybe you might want to reflect on that during this song. And the last one, find me on my knees again. That you might want to lower yourself onto your knees again. That you might want to take that self-seeking king off and say, actually, Jesus, you're my king. I need you to be the king of this area of my life. And that that might do a transforming work. You'll see you've got little pieces of paper on your your chairs that have a little crown on it. You might want to write something that you're grateful for. Maybe you might want to write something that you're struggling with that you need God's grace at work in your life for. Or maybe you want to take that little crown and you might want to bring it up before the cross and place it on the floor and say, hey, Jesus, you are a good king. When I place you at king of my life, I know this is the way to more fulfillment and more satisfaction. That it's, it's not about me seeking pleasure all the time, but a full life is a life that has you as the king. And so you might want to come up and place that at the cross. You might want to write on it what it is that is the wrestle or the tug of war that you're wrestling with and say, God, I place this over to you. Be my king again. And in that time, you might take a moment to fall on your knees again, to humble yourself and lower yourself before a powerful and mighty God who loves us dearly. Thanks, Cindy.